the truth is everybody was hiding the black piece. Everybody was hiding that I was mixed. And I was older when I found out, so I was able to, I think, deal with that a little bit more maturely. But you can't hide these things from kids because the translation becomes what's wrong with like half of me, that everybody wants to hide that piece. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet Bethany, who lives here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, near me. Growing up, Bethany could see differences in herself and her white family, but her parents explained those differences away, and she believed what she was told. Unexpectedly, Bethany's birth mother found her, but the woman was not prepared to discuss her past, nor reveal the truth about Bethany's true heredity. Fortunately, DNA testing revealed the one thing everyone close to Bethany was trying to hide, which unlocked the relationship with her birth father and uncovered the truth about chapter one of her life. This is Bethany's journey. When we connected, Bethany told me that it had been exactly one year since she immersed herself in the adoptee community. She was born in Buffalo, New York, where her parents adopted her. Their family, including her older brother, five years older and also adopted, moved to a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, called Naperville, a predominantly white community. Her parents were practicing Christians and pretty conservative in their views. The family attended church services every Sunday, and Bethany went to a Lutheran school through eighth grade. There were only 11 children in Bethany's class, and to top things off, her dad was the principal of the school. She doesn't remember how her parents shared the news, but Bethany always knew she was adopted. She said that pretty early on, she had some basic questions about why she was so different from her family. My earliest memory of feeling that I maybe look different and I started to inquire a lot about, you know, my my roots and I probably didn't have the right language at the time, but I'm like, why do I look like this and you look like that? That, you know, kind of eight eight year old stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember it in second grade because there was one kid in the school that looked like me. And I thought we were going to get married, of course, and he should <laughs> kiss me on the playground because we look the same. But that's as far as I knew. I didn't that's know anything else. We never went into details. Really, yeah, so. really interesting. What, what, no, is, what yeah. is the difference in look for, for you and your other yeah. family members? So I have olive skin, huge green eyes, button nose. I always had the first in the family to get a tan, big bushy brown hair that my mother did not know how to you know, do. So obviously, since we're not on video, I definitely look different than my family. My family was German and my brother who was also adopted was very fair and I couldn't figure out why his skin turned bright red outside and mine turned like deep you know (laughs) nice bronze Mm -hmm. and again we never talked about ethnicity or race I very much so did not know maybe it wasn't age appropriate when I was younger I'm not really sure what I thought at the time but it just perplexed me I was constantly looking for people that looked like me for sure uh, wanting to fit in and 
wanted my hair to be styled in a way and my mother would cut me like Farrah Fawcett and I had the opposite of Farrah Fawcett hair. <laughs> and I'm like, my hair does not feather in a nice flowy way. Mm-hmm. My hair is more Afro-y, but it was never a conversation. Uh-huh. So my question started early. So I have a very quiet brother. Like I said, he's also adopted. So there was that kind of belonging with him because I knew he was also adopted. So there was an open conversation on it specifically the like transaction of adoption and how that all happened, but not a lot of details about why I was placed in adoption and the ethnicity thing. I look back now and I definitely remember being pretty fixated on looking like other people who looks like me. Maybe I could be their cousin. Maybe I could be their sibling. And it was always you know, somebody of non-white ethnicity. And my parents told me I was Russian and that was all they knew. And they had a friend that had, I guess, Russian ancestry and they thought I looked like her. I did not think I looked like her. So that was kind of an annoying little Bethany nuance that certainly looking back and just reflecting back was always there. That's really interesting too, the, the, the fact that they tried to pass you off as looking like someone that you don't identify as at all. You literally are looking at her and like, I don't see that. How do you see that? Yes. You know? Yeah. Do you And th- I know I said it, I said it in a, you know, little girl with no filter type of way. <laughs> right. I'm positive I said it in the little girl, no filter type of way. And I think I got no, frustrated. I yeah. 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 What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But but I'll I'll let me just add on there like loving family in terms of you know now that I've met so many other adoptees adult adoptees that are sharing stories and things like that I I definitely fell into the I am grateful I am lucky phase mm-hmm. because I was aware that you know I had very loving like I said Christian pretty conservative upbringing with parents that took very loving care of me. That's yeah. really great to hear. I love that. Yeah, for sure. And and how did you get along with your family? Did you notice personality differences between you as well? I am absolutely the, you know, odd man out in my family. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was always, you know, cartwheeling down the street, very outgoing, athletic, wanted to be, you know, FOMO hit me hard. I wanted to be out and about and in all the things. So I was super, super social and outspoken. And my brother was very quiet. So we got along fine. He was building computers and I was outside trying to figure out, you know, who my next boyfriend was and how many best friends I have and what sport I was going to go, you know, crush next. So, and my parents were always supportive of all the things that I did from, you know, my recollection for sure. But yes, my personality was very different from, I think, like my household. Mm -hmm. I was quite loud. (laughs) Yeah, very loud. My dad, I'm pretty sure he probably drove my dad nuts. (laughs) But, you know, parents are meant to absorb all of that insanity. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, they did a good job of just kind of saying she's a little wackadoodle. And, you know, that was that. It's not until later which I know we'll get into, but it wasn't until later that I'm like, oh, I I really do come by all of this honestly. Mm. And, you know, it's a it's just an element of 
adoption and you kind of get what you get and you don't get upset, I used to always say. But yeah, I'm, I'm still probably processing some of those things, but I am nature and I am nurture. Yeah, many of us are. It's hard to avoid. Yep. You can't avoid the nature, obviously, and the nurture can be very deeply ingrained into you as a person. So they can both be influential, but it's just fascinating to hear that you've yeah. identified elements of who you were as a young girl that was different from them, but are honestly who you are by virtue of your biology. That's fascinating. Tell me a little bit about your experience in your community as a child. So you've said there was one other child that looked like you, obviously your future mm -hmm. husband. <laughs> Clearly, yes. Tell, yeah. me, tell me a little bit about what life was like in your community for you as a young woman who didn't necessarily look like her family and then, and as you've said, didn't look like your community either. Yep, yep, totally. So again, small school, small, tight-knit Christian community, and my dad was a principal. And I thought everybody knew my story. I, I think they probably did, right? Everybody knew I was, an, I was adopted. A, I don't look like my parents or my brother. You know, I don't look like my family. And also, since it was small and tight, I definitely felt and I believe that people knew our stories. So I didn't have to answer a lot of questions up until eighth grade because everybody just knew Bethany was adopted. Because, you know, my family adopted the kids and... That was that. I did not know. There's two stories that happened in my community where I came across other people's adoptee experiences. Of course, there was no really note taking back then, but I very vividly remember the boy that I sort of gravitated to in second grade, who I know also was adopted by white parents. And his parents were very open about the fact he was biracial. He had a I, I don't remember if it was mom or his dad who was who, but somebody was black and somebody was white. And here, you know, they adopted this baby. I don't know the circumstances, but I knew that. And I definitely two and two, you know, equals four. And I look like him. So am I also mixed? And I was not right because I was Russian was the story. So my community close knit, not a lot of conversation. It wasn't like I've met organizations now that, continue to sort of nurture the families that are part of their um, adoption programs throughout life, right? I've met com um, organizations now that say, we, you're adopted for life, your parents adopt, are adoptive parents for life, and we're always support you. I've, I've met those people. We didn't have that. It felt that it just was a thing and everybody knew it and nobody talked about it. There wasn't really a reason to talk about it unless of course, Bethany brings it up. <laughs> mm. So the community writ large was a close knit community, absolutely predominantly white. There was a black family or two, I think in the whole entire school again, from like preschool to eighth grade and one child that I knew that was adopted and mixed, which I identified with but nobody told me like, yes, you guys are of similar backgrounds. I never got that information. In eighth grade, socially active Bethany begged her parents not to continue her education in the Christian private school system. She didn't want to spend her high school years with the same small group of kids she had known her entire life. It was time to move on and see some more of the world. Bethany's parents responded accordingly, and she started a new high school where she was exposed to more diversity, for better or for worse. The same way, she also started to get more questions asked of her by her new classmates. Where are you from? You look so exotic. 
if they don't know my parents, then they expect that you should know that answer. Versus if you see my parents, then you're like, well, now why do you look like that? Mm -hmm. And they look like this. Mm -hmm. But again, there was no answers. So I would bring these things home to my parents. I think my, my, my memory is that I would bring these questions home to my parents. I do think at some point I sort of stopped asking either there could have been a little bit of internal, I feel bad, I don't want to make them upset, or I'm not getting answers anyway. So I do think I sort of subsided a little bit, but I had a little bit of racial, my boyfriend in high school, for example, who was white, I had somebody call him names for dating me. Mm. And I would come home with that information. And I'm like, I heard the N word today. And my parents are like, what? Why? So as great and wonderful as I remember my upbringing and my childhood, I still sort of sit on the fact of they didn't really go deep there with me. And if I could change anything, you know, and now when I speak to other parents that have adopted children or that definitely have transracial adoptions, you know, you got to go there. And if you're not comfortable really going there and having those tough conversations, especially in today's world, which shockingly feels worse than it was maybe even when I was growing up, then, you know, you, you have to really think about the child and the relationship you're able to, you know, sort of sign on for, because that is one piece that I wish there was more transparency and openness there. So just for clarity, I want to make sure I'm hearing you absolutely correctly. Yep. Your parents yep. raised you as white all the way through Correct. high school. There was never a moment where anyone said, oh, listen, I don't, I'm not sure if we were clear or you're not yeah. white Russian, you're black, like, or I make the assumption because you said biracial and you said Afro like yep. here. Yep. So there yep. was never, you led your life believing that you were 100% white, even though you could see the, yes. the differences in yourself. Wow. That's really fascinating. Yeah. It, you know, it gets a little embarrassing now that I talk about it out loud, right? Because if you look at pictures of my family, or even when I see pictures of other people that are, that might look like me, might be biracial as well, that grew up in white families, I mean, literally, I believed my parents. And if I look at myself now in a family picture when I'm three or 13 or whatever the age, I'm like, gosh, how did you actually buy that? Yeah. I, so I it gets a little, you. I mean, I'm 45, you know, I'm, how old am I? I'm 46 now. So, but it, but yes, and, and we'll get there, but it wasn't definitely until much later. And I discovered it on my own with no help from anybody mm. in my extended family and my adopted family and my ballot. I mean, nowhere did anybody along my life other than friends, you know, I would have friends that would say, girl, you, you are definitely not white. And I'm like, I mean, You'd think, but that's not what they're telling me. <laughs> yeah. So they very much passed me and I would check those white boxes. And because I have this like crazy memory of time, you know, I know in second grade what I was thinking when I looked at this boy that looked like me. I remember in high school feeling a way in biology class if they asked, you know, how do you get green? I have green eyes. So, you know, this olive skin, this puffy, curly hair that can't be controlled. I have green eyes and you get the looks and you get the questions and you don't have the answers. And it was frustrating. And I did get to a point, then you move into college. And I got to, I went to college in the deep South, which we don't have enough time to talk about the deep South and all the lessons that going down there. Imagine how confused those people are when I walk in the room and I'm like pledging white sororities. 
because I believe that's where I'm supposed to go when I go to the, you know, South wow. is pledge a sorority. And they're like, they're like, you sure, girl? Let's maybe go you pull sure? you aside yeah, and yeah. let's just talk oh, about yeah. this real quick. Yeah, yeah. And and I really I hate to say that I sound I sound so naive and I'm so but but it is the truth and I have to speak it because I think about the person that could be in a similar situation questioning some of the things that they might be hearing from their parents and you know doing the taking the same steps I took, right? Checking the white boxes and signing up for the white things and maybe getting the looks or going down to the south or otherwise and blatantly being called names. Mm. Somebody called me an Oreo when I was playing basketball in high school. I had no idea. I was like, why are they why are they saying this to me? Yeah. And I did I was I was that believing of my parents and I was that unsure of how to have the right conversation. And we had no help, which is why I bring up how now maybe then too, but not in my house. Now there's, I'm, I'm aware that organizations and therapists and counselors are available to help parents through these conversations so they can have productive, real, even if they're tough conversations about what we're experiencing. So we can be better equipped to go through these experiences like being called the N word or, or pledging a white sorority or, 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 right? I mean, take your pick of all the things yeah. that now I know are kind of normal questions yeah. that we get asked. And if we don't have the answers, it's very confusing and othering. And it's just kind of always outside looking in what's the truth kind of um, is how it manifested in me, which then I know now through work leads to other personality traits that I have, I think specifically from some of those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Let me take a step back for a minute because I want to hit on a couple of things. One, you talked about how embarrassing it is to look back on your past and see how much yeah. you believed in that and how you know yep. now how false it is. But I always try to remind adoptees, like when we're kids, it doesn't matter if you're biological or not to your parents, you believe what they tell you. Right. That's right. And right. and when they drive it home in you and reinforce it the way that they did with you, regardless of how much you get it from the outside, the parents are the people that you trust the most. And when they're telling you something, you go, all right, but I don't know if that's right. Like you still end up believing it just because you trust and love them. And so while I can understand why you look back with some embarrassment, you also have to look at it from the perspective of the people you trusted the most. We're telling yeah. you this and didn't correct it. And the second thing I want to say is that while I think of this normally from the perspective of how challenging it is to make a discovery of your racial identity later in life, I'm realizing in this moment we live in in the United States of how challenging race relations can be in different places, how actually dangerous it could have been for you to be in the South looking like yeah. a black woman proclaiming some level of whiteness out of ignorance, but actually really putting yourself potentially in some danger in the wrong corners of, you know, certain states. And so I think it's also important to recognize mm -hmm. that people need to be able to own their identity so that they can sort of stand with the people that they identify with oh, and, yeah. for, for yeah. safety purposes, as much as just general, here's my identity as who I, who I actually am, not who I have been falsely told I should believe Ugh. that I am, you know? That is, that is like so, 
powerful. I don't think I've ever really considered it or thought about, I agree with everything that you just said. And I think I, and I think I've thought that at times, I don't know if I've ever articulated it in that way. And I'm so happy that you're saying that because again, that's, you know, if we're sharing our stories now, so the next generations of adoptees and of parents and families and teachers and counselors can hear our stories so they can do just a little bit better next time if they're considering taking this same path that my parents took, right? Then that is the lesson. I mean, that is so powerful. And I never had a conversation with my parents about the safety concerns of being in Alabama like I have with my two black sons. Mm-hmm. Right. Like my parents never had that conversation with me. I never considered what it was like. Something important also is just simple dating. So I was in college in 94 and I arrived to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, roll tide. (laughs) And nobody told me that I was literally, you got to, and there are people that probably might listen to this that weren't even born yet. I had no idea when I went to the University of Alabama that the month I arrived there, I would see this Ku Klux Klan. I would be part of deep South old school like situations, right? So I, there was a mixed, again, going down there confused of my, I started to hear and wonder, maybe there's more to my ethnicity than I've been told, because if we don't know who my adoptive parent, I'm sorry, who my biological parents are really, maybe we don't know their ethnicity, obviously. And I started to sort of make the assumptions that I am non, that I am not white. I am definitely, there's something else going on there. Sometimes I would think it could be, I, I definitely embraced that I could be Latina, you know, and I would kind of go around thinking, I think I'm mixed my college boyfriend called me his Peruvian princess. Totally no idea. And I was like, okay, whatever. So, you know, where's that culture? Culture felt important to me. It felt important to me to know what I was. Some people may or may not care. My brother didn't care. I I did definitely care. And I was, like I said, outspoken about it. But safety comment, that definitely strikes a chord with me because I did see the things that were going on down there. My boyfriend in college was Black. And we got pulled over in a police car. And I remember that police officer looking at me like, are you okay, ma'am? And I'm thinking, why is he asking me that? Well, he probably is confused on who's the passenger here. Because I sure the heck know now. Sure enough, if there was a black man driving around with a white girl in the country parts of Alabama, they might get pulled over in 1994. Mm -hmm. And we did. You know, there were towns that still had sundown laws. And I'm carting around town like... I'm, you know, can go wherever and do whatever. So I'm walking around like I'm a privileged person. And meanwhile, people are looking at me side-eyed. Yeah. this is, And I can't thing. get any support. Yeah. Yeah. This is another thing that I've also talked to some transracial adoptees about. And they've, they've known that they were adopted. I mean, these are kids who are clearly yes. black and are adopted yeah. by... Yeah families of a different culture. And one of the challenges that happens with them is when the black child is with the white parents, they get the safety of being with white people while they're together. But then when that child is by themselves, they're just a black child. 
and they're by themselves. Yep. And so you don't get the parachute of that safety. You don't get the shield that coincides with being next to, you know, somebody yep. who's white in a challenging situation. So in that situation where you got pulled over by this cop, that brother might have been in trouble, quite honestly, yeah. had it not oh, yeah. been for yeah. you. And so yep. the the fact that you ended up being a bit of his safety net because you were easily mistaken for for a, a white woman. But, you know, this reinforces what I was saying about some of the safety issues that coincide Absolutely. with racially charged situations. And this one just happened to be working out in your favor. Yeah. Wow. This is oh, really it wild. would be it would be so irresponsible. I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking. I'm a mother now. And obviously I'm like completely aware of the world that we live in. And my husband was black and my boys totally identify as black. So I experienced myself as a, I felt as I got older, I am definitely not white. And so just to put it in context, so I'm 46 now, I found out, so at 43, I did my ancestry DNA. So I have now uh, almost 16-year-old and almost 21-year-old. So I think my oldest might have been in around sixth grade when Trayvon Martin was murdered. Mm. And, you know, and then, you know, it's been story after story after story. And I struggled to talk to my kids about it at the time because I would call them mixed, thinking they have a white mom and a black father. Mm. And, they're like, and he would say, Mom, I'm black. And I would, I really got stuck. I was almost, I was almost projecting my issue of racial identity onto my child who was very clear. And, and I was trying to get all, all almost scientific with it. Like, well, no, actually you're 50% me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I look back now, just when my child's sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and I'm like, wow, Bethany, you had a problem speaking to your own child about race. And some of the experiences he was telling me he was going through, people touching his afro at school, getting in trouble because he had a pick on him in sixth grade and he would pick his hair out. And, you know, I struggled to have those conversations. So it would be an irresponsible of even me not to understand, hear, and learn how to best parent my son so when he walks out my front door, he's safe. Right. And something shifted in me at some point, which all led me to say, you cannot not know anymore. It's not going to work. Mm. So that would happen with my oldest. And I started to realize, I acknowledged, I was like, dude, you're uncomfortable with this because nobody ever did this for you. And race has always been an uncomfortable bucket for me. And I still had no other than maybe close friends and family and things like that. It was a really tough conversation for me. So now I'm birthing these children that I'm responsible for. And I need to figure out how to have these right conversations or otherwise history is repeating itself almost. Mm -hmm. And I'm almost acting the same way and turning to, oh, I know you didn't experience that. That's not, you must be mistaken. I almost was like gaslighting my own child. Meanwhile, I believe I was also, you know, I'll, I'll use the term gaslit just because it feels like it fits in this context. But I think I was parenting almost the way I was parented. And it had to stop. I needed to figure something out. And I wanted my kids to be able to stand up and be honest about who they were. And so I ultimately, for many reasons, including that of my own kids, do the ancestry. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. I'm glad you're able to admit to that piece of sort of 
projecting your own racial identity challenge onto your sons? Because I think that's not something I've heard a lot. And I would imagine it happens a lot more than we realize or talk about. So I'm glad you brought that out. Back when Bethany was 18 years old, while she was in college, she reached out to her adoption agency to get her non-identifying information. I asked her what the spark was for her outreach in that moment. Bethany remembers vividly the expansive transformation from her high school days into college as the sky seemed to open up as she described it. Her new life in the Deep South was a new world of race and identity confronting her. Bethany said she had been fairly obedient as a child who trusted and loved her parents. She had reciprocated that trust and believed what they told her about her identity. And one of the facts that Bethany trusted from her parents was that when she was 18 years old, she could search for her adoption information. As soon as she reached that age, during her college years, she reached out to retrieve that information for herself. From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Bethany was on the phone with her Western New York representative from Lutheran Social Services. Lutheran Services told Bethany her records were in the archives, so she waited impatiently for her information to be sent. There was a lengthy delay between the initial call and the return call in the year 2000 when Bethany was finally read some of her non-identifying information. In the file, they actually said you were born to a Jewish New York petite white woman in New York. She said her the father was unknown and there was a little bit of an asterisk in the file and it said there is a light-skinned Negro who claims to be the father, however, mother doesn't know. It was kind of that vague sort of statement. And I'm like, wait a second. That was the first time in my life where I was like, I, am I mixed? And not only am I mixed, my big, I, I, I started to joke about it a little bit after I sort of wrapped my head around it all. I'm like, I was raised this conservative white Christian. And I was actually born as a black Jew. That was my, that was my wow. little sort of joke that I would try to say, which probably isn't very funny. And it speaks to, you know, we, my personal belief for myself was I have these sort of things in my bones and I come from these ancestors and I was raised totally nothing of either of what I was born in or to. That's really fascinating. Um, wow. Listen, it's you've lived this life. If you can't sort of laugh at it and say, oh my gosh, I can't oh, yeah, believe this, yeah, like yeah. you'll never get through it. So it <laughs> I wasn't gonna bust out laughing, but I thought it was actually I know, funny. I know. I'm like, I was I was raised a white Christian, born a black Jew. Like they got me on ethnicity and religion mm-hmm. flip-flops. Mm-hmm. Like I was okie doked. Yeah. So the adoption agency told me that information. I contacted my parents who raised me. And I said, listen, I just heard from the adoption agency. And I remember telling them that information over the phone. And I'm not sure what their reaction was, right? I probably should have done it in person. If, you know, looking back, I would probably say that's not just a, hey, mom, dad, I just found out I was, you know, got some information. That's probably not something that I would leave on like a voicemail or recommend somebody does over the phone. But that's what I did at the time. And my mom took like copious notes and I don't remember my dad saying too much. And, you know, that was kind of it. There wasn't a lot of like pomp and circumstance about this big information that I've been searching for for so long and and just found out some of it. Bethany kind of sat on her life changing identity shift that she was a biracial woman. Five years later, 
In 2005, she was one month away from getting married. Bethany had had sufficient time behind her to begin living with the fact that she was mixed and she knew at least a piece of her origin story. But one day, when Bethany was at work, she got an unexpected, life-changing call. My birth mother found me and reached out to me in 2005 via phone. Whoa. And the we so I entered into reunion with my biological mother. She found me and after some rocky conversations, she was very secretive for lack of a better word. It basically was I wanted to make sure you're okay. I'm your birth mother. I've been thinking about you for 30 years. Goodbye. Wow. And this I was is like, you, wait a second. You're sitting wait, at wait. work? Yeah. I was sitting at my office, yes. And that's and the call you got. That's the call I got. Yep. Let's go back for a minute. So you're sitting at work. Sure. Yes. And you're working away. And the phone rings. And this woman calls you and says, what? Hi, Bethany. I'm your birth mother. I've been thinking about you for 30 years. I wanted to make sure you're okay. And that was it. I actually said, can you hold on one second? And these are the days of AOL Instant Messenger. And I instant messaged one of my good friends who also was adopted. And I called my brother, who I grew up with. And I said, there's a lady on my phone. She said, my, she's my mom. And he was like, you hang up on her right now. You don't know what she wants. He was like, no way, hang up on her. Hmm. And then my good friend at the time, who also was adopted and also experienced reunion with her birth mother, she was actually quite a big player in why I and how I sort of got into my search. She was like, Oh my gosh, ask her all these questions, get all the information. Like she gave me more like tactical things that I should be doing because I could not think straight. And by the time I came back to the phone, I think it was a very brief, like, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. And she was gone. She hung up. Yeah. Wow. Where, how did that leave you? Horrible. I was like, you just were possibly <laughs> the next best thing to those papers that were pulled out of the archives that can tell me who, why, what, you know, because I always kind of thought that I would search and find medical records and ethnicity records. I never really had it in my head that I would ever be reunited with anybody. Reunion wasn't really a thought in my head because I don't think I ever expected that it was a reality or a possibility. So I always thought it was just information that I would be able to get. So now that I have this voice connected to totally all the information, like firsthand, because she was there, I was really upset. And we wound up reconnecting again. And she was willing to give me her email address how did and you, it was a very like reconnect yeah. again how did yeah. you just wind up how did that happen mm, i think she reached out to me again if i'm not mistaken and i was very much so like this is not nice <laughs> if you're gonna call me and not come prepared to like have conversation that's gonna answer questions for me it wasn't fair for me at all my family was really upset that that was sort of the big reveal was nothing. I think it felt like my family was upset for me. I was definitely upset. I was also definitely distracted because the next month I was getting married. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was super distracted. And, you know, now when I look back, you know, now I'm older and wiser and have done self, you know, discovery and really therapy and things like that. You know, it's funny 
my month before I got married, my hand, my like right hand was totally stuck like a claw. Nobody could figure out what was going on. I could not open, I couldn't make a fist and I couldn't open my hand all the way. My hand was stuck. I went to doctor, I had nerve testing and it didn't dawn on me honestly until so much later. I think it was so stressful and traumatic for me that she reached out to me and I was about to get married that I think I had an actual reaction, but it was never all put together in my head. You know, my mom, I mean, nobody ever said you might be going through like some, your body might be reacting to something right now mm-hmm. in a way because of that phone call. Yeah. Is a so, like a traumatic yeah. stress reaction something. that manifests physically. That's really why. Totally. Wow. And nobody ever said that to me that was around me. I went to doctor on doctor, you know, knowing what I know now and knowing how hard I work to be open with my own children. Again, this is one of those hindsight 2020 moments. Like people live their whole lives as adoptees and don't get that phone call or have that opportunity to have that information. And I was one of the people that really wanted it. So, you know, I don't know, just a little side note on what I, now what I know about trauma and manifesting trauma and how it definitely manifests in our bodies. Mm -hmm. I say all that now, because if anybody's going through anything, females in particular with fibroids or cysts, these things can be hereditary and, or they could be definitely stress or trauma related. I mean, this is science. This isn't like my woo-woo thoughts. This is like real stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for the people that have sort of taught me that because there are possible answers now for some of the things that I've experienced that really had me scratching my head. You know, things made me super anxious and I'm starting really just to unpack those now. So I don't play a therapist by any means. I have one (laughs) and I love and really trust people to help me like work through some of these things so if anybody else is experiencing the you know physical or mental just questions or confusion or actual physical ailments or anything like that and they have been searching or they have been questioning or they've been untrusting or you know all that stuff adopted or not right these things like manifest in our bodies. And that's something I'm just starting to unpack. I mean, there's really awesome. Beth Tyson is a childhood trauma consultant. Dr. Marielle Bouquet is a intergenerational trauma consultant. Like some of these fantastic people that are like way smarter than me are helping me to unpack just some possibilities of why I am who I am. And that to me is why your show is so amazing. It's like, who am I and why? Mm -hmm. And I'm just starting to unpack that. And I'm 40, almost seven years old. And it's amazing. I'm so happy that it's it's happened late, later in my life, right? I probably have more years behind me than in front of me, but I'm so thankful that I found it. And that identity and the belonging that is happening in the self-discovery phase. And, you know, one of the secret sauces that I wish we could uncover is how do parents, therapists, educators, et cetera, help kids in our, like us find that identity and sense of belonging? It's even when search doesn't happen or reunion can't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because we can't have all these broken people walking around feeling some type of way secretly in a corner feeling alone. Right. So I did experience the search and I did experience the reunion. And I'm able to like have this healing and hope for like a little bit better outlook on the future, less anxiety and things like that because, and I know a lot of it's tied to my 
discovery. In 2005, Bethany had the experience of her birth mother parachuting into her life out of nowhere, identifying herself and telling Bethany that she had thought about her for 30 years. Then the woman was gone as quickly as she appeared. The pair reconnected and the woman gave Bethany her email address so they wrote messages back and forth. It took the woman six months of email correspondence before she felt comfortable sharing her identity with her long-lost daughter. Bethany cited some resources that she has found, like the supportive structures provided by the On Your Feet Foundation or Alexis Eiler, who assist birth mothers with things they need, like pending search and reunion. But Bethany's birth mother contacted her with no plan. As Bethany and her birth mother communicated more, the woman tried to debunk the facts that had been presented in Bethany's non-identifying information, saying that her birth father was not a light-skinned black man, but a white guy, the image of whom conjures reminders of Santa Claus. For five years, Bethany had finally come to terms with her status as a mixed-race woman. Then, her birth mother tried to convince her that her birth father was not black. I asked Bethany if she believed her birth father really looked like old St. Nick. Never. I kind of laughed at that point because remember, I'm getting older and I'm stopping, you know, at some point we make our own conclusions as humans and we stop believing everything in Santa Claus and all the other things that people tell us. So by this point, I'm grown. I'm 30. I had, I was a mother of, I think, one at the time. And I was not falling for it at all. And I started to form my own conclusions, definitely. And I really, now I had transferred all the inquisitive Bethany, you know, 18 and below years have completely now been put on this woman. And I'm like, tell me everything. I need to know where, when, who, why, what, where, what, what. I mean, I was like, tell me everything. So first of all, I'm sure that was very overwhelming for her. And then second of all, you can't call me and expect that I'm going to go, okay, great. Yep, I'm good. Bye. Right. Tell me only what you want me to know, I'm, and yeah. I'll just be fine with that. Yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. It took some breaking down barriers for her to be comfortable. And I kept saying, you called me. I did not find you. I don't want anything from you. You called me. And she was super scared to tell me any personal information. And and I know now that that was because she wasn't honest with everybody in her world about who um, she actually had a baby with. So it was not an easy conversation. And as a side, my parents were not happy. I heard the side conversations my dad had with friends, kind of like this woman comes around and we do all the heavy lifting and now she wants to have a relationship with our beautiful daughter. Like he was not happy. And again, it was a sidebar. We never had this personal conversation about it all. I just did not feel that they were very supportive. I did not want to hurt their feelings. So I stopped telling them about her. Yeah. And I continued to have a conversation with her. And eventually she did introduce me to her family. She was married. She had a daughter with her husband, my half-sister, who was 20-something years younger than me. Are these electronic introduction introductions? No, I physically met her in person after that six month period where I basically said time out. Like I'm not gonna continue doing this. Yeah. So tell if me if I'm not you're not gonna be forth killing. I yeah. wanna hear about yep. this part. So you get past the six months of electronic communications. You've stopped telling your yes. adoptive parents about your interactions with her, but now you've reached a point where you're gonna meet her. Take me to that meeting. How was that? What was the setup? And what were those first moments like? Oh gosh, you know, I was so 
certainly nervous. I was so nervous. I got my hair done. I was so worried about my appearance, looking great. I brought my husband with me and we went downtown DC. I was living in Maryland at the time and we met her and her husband. I was so anxious and I was so excited. I mean, I could not believe I'm going to meet this woman. <laughs> and, you know, the meeting happened after we worked through some of our challenges. So it definitely was not a cakewalk on either side. I was really, I told you I have no filter. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was like 13 year old Bethany was bombarding this person with, with questions to which she was completely opposite. I don't want to give you any information. So the two of us were just like, you know, not going to do very well if, if both of us wouldn't give a little bit, she needed to start providing me with information, tangible information. And I also needed to sort of pipe down and understand somehow that also traumatic experience from her perspective mm -hmm. that she went through. That's and I wasn't getting the information though. So I wasn't putting that together until later. So her story was a little all over the place. And I couldn't tell like, you have to know who my father is. I was really starting, you know, I had her and I really wanted to know the other piece. And I started to sort of hit her hard for that information. And she kind of blew up what I already thought I knew, which is, okay, now I'm, I am mixed. We know the story based on the adoption records that they were able to give me. And she blew the story up. And so I was sort of back to square one. Well, then who is my father? If it's not the guy that claimed to be the father based on the paperwork. And she was all over the place and I never really got a good answer until, until she sort of came forward and said, this is who your father is and showed me a picture. And I'm like, no, 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 that can't be him. And she's like, yes, it's him. Well, this was history repeating itself. And I realized, again, these are like the learning lessons when you go along the way and you talk about these things now. I have been raised by people that said, you're adopted, you're adopted, you're adopted. We don't know your ethnicity. All we know is you're Russian. And now I'm meeting a birth mother who's like, everybody knows that I had a baby and I placed a baby up for adoption because I was young. And, oh no, your birth father is not who you thought it was. It's this, you know, white guy that looks like Santa Claus over here. Mm. So the common denominator for me continued to be, again, once I searched and I found out the truth, the truth is everybody was hiding the black piece. Everybody was hiding that I was mixed. And I was older when I found out, so I was able to, I think, deal with that a little bit more maturely. But you can't hide these things from kids because the translation becomes what's wrong with like half of me, that everybody wants to hide that piece. Right. So that, becomes, that became something in my 40s that I needed some help thinking through. Why would my parents, who I'm so close to, who have this wonderful Christian, you know, life, why would they hide that piece? And I had to sort of unravel some of that by myself. Mm -hmm. And also, why would my why would my biological mother, who found me, who proceeded to have a relationship with me, I did meet her daughter, who we are now close, but all the cards are on the table now. So I feel in all my story. What made me whole and trusting was the transparency that I had to deeply work hard to uncover. I put all the cards on the table and I'm like, this is me, people. This is the story. And all the cards are out on the table now. 
That's great. And that is when we entered into a true relationship. I truly have a close relationship with my sister. I truly, you know, love my biological mother and accept her, all the quirks and all the secrets. I've had to sort of say, if I'm going to have a relationship with you, we have to be honest with each other. And I noticed that's how I enter all my relationships now. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do very well with, with secrets and lies and all that stuff. And I, in a way, my almost whole life, I've been lied to by all the people granted for one reason or another, my biological mother did not tell me all the truth or anybody around her that whole truth. Mm -hmm. My, my parents who raised me didn't tell me that truth. The storyline Bethany's birth mother brought to their reunion was the story she was sticking to. Also for clarity, Before Bethany got to meet her younger sister, 20 years younger than herself, her birth mother told Bethany that she had a sister, but that her younger sister had not been told about Bethany. So, early in her maternal reunion, Bethany's birth father was kept a secret from her, and Bethany's existence was kept a secret from her younger sister. There were secrets floating around their relationship, but Bethany didn't want to lose the relationship with her birth mother if she pressed too hard on her strong suspicion that she was being lied to about her birth father's identity. It became important for Bethany to decide if she was going to continue the relationship or not based on what she could see was a misrepresentation of the truth. Bethany reconciled to the fact that she would have to play along with the lies she was being told in order to maintain her maternal reunion. And it just didn't sit well with me, but I also didn't want to give up the access and the relationship. It felt like a little bit of the right thing to do was to sit here and forge this relationship and have this conversation. But it was probably at a distance for quite some time. There were there were in-person meetings and there were conversations and things like that. But I do think I had to sort of put a lot. I feel like I had to be the one to do the bending mm-hmm. and accept this is what I'm going to get. Yeah. So if I'm going to be in this relationship, this is it. I think that's pretty common too. This is a bit of the adoptee people pleaser and oh, fear yeah. of, you know, like a, a adoption reunion rejection, right? If you don't do what I oh, say, yeah. then I'm yeah. out of here. And, we, and, yeah. and you're ho- held hostage to potentially what little they're willing to offer you as birth parents if they're not willing to come sort of all the way out and, and share everything with you, then you just take, like, for lack of better words, the scraps that you're given just to maintain yes. the relationship until you can cross over into this promised land that when this child is 18, then we'll really open the door. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's this, it's like a carrot dangled out in front and you're supposed to be reaching for it. And so you just keep walking forward trying to get to it and you'll never reach it. It's a, it's a really weird sensation. Yeah, that you, you have, have the best. You have like the best analogies and <laughs> you put it in such a great way um, and totally agree with you on that. And I have, as I speak, you know, as I, as I meet like you and other people and hear these different stories and listen to different, you know, people kind of give their experience. I find such comfort in those common threads, even though like I'm a super empathetic person, like I feel the pain when somebody tells me what they experienced and it helps me not feel alone in my similar experiences and that has been very helpful for me i feel like i'm going to start getting a little emotional which (laughs) 
I always think I'm okay. And then I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. But it is. It's Girl, been such a big too. deal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Too. It's just it so ridiculous. No, it's not. Um, I always think this I'm okay. Is, this is real life. And then you realize, <laughs> no. like, when you start to tell your story and you haven't really told the entire thing to anybody because there's so few adoptees in your life where you get to share the entirety when you do actually get to these emotional points, it, it it's overwhelming. Yeah. There's no no doubt about it. I've still, like, I've been in reunion for, let me think, 2009. And it's like 2023. Oh. And if I sit and I tell you every single piece of my story, all the emotional parts, I will absolutely cry on you. Because it's just like, it's crazy that this is our lives. You know what I'm saying? It's just why. It is. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's also crazy that you can tell me I hear you speak it back to me and I'm like, gosh, I have such, I've started to give myself permission to like be a little bit more gentle with myself in some of the ways that I am and some of the things that I liked, I liked the least about myself, like my anxiety and like my lack of trusting. And, you know, there's certain things that happen. And then when you hear it repeated back, you know, I'm like, well, gosh, Bethany, it's been a ride, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. the just cakewalk. I mean, life is not a cakewalk. The adoptee tag for me is sort of an added layer on already life be life and all the time anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no cakewalk. And I certainly am not suggesting that poor Bethany who has it so bad because she was adopted into this kind family. That's not it at all. But there's a little bit of a layer just as I think there's a layer when my kids walk outside and they're black in America, you know, there's just added layers that I think we would do each other justice in the world. If we would acknowledge, like you may have an added layer to your human existence that might make it just slightly more challenging on a day-to-day -day basis to do certain things that you might have to do on a regular. Yeah. And my mom birth, my biological mother, like you said, dangled that carrot, asked me to withhold. I didn't want to lose the relationship. I held. And then when my baby sister turned 18, this little Chica was at my house all the time. We lived, she lived in New York still. She grew up in New York. She was like, can I come see you? Can I come see you? Can I come? Because the, she found out she had a big sister from her mother when she graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And she was an only child and she was, you know, thrilled. Oh. It was a it was a great thing, and we're we've done so many great things together. And I do believe I always kind of go back to what you said earlier. Like people pleaser guilty. I'm I just I'm not. I didn't want to be mean, and I didn't want to cut them off, and I wasn't sure where it was all going. So I just kind of kept everybody at bay and carried on with my life with these pieces. Um, but my sister came to a certain point at some, like I said, she thought Santa Claus was my dad. So we had a serious conversation one day, obviously after she was 18. And she was like, I just, I, I know your dad. And I said, listen, <laughs> do you really think as now a young woman that that man and your mother made me? And she was like, actually, I was kind of wondering. <laughs> so she saw it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, I was kind of wondering. And I think my birth mother thawed out little by little when she would introduce me to the family and 
they were like, you know, okay, this is all good. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, it's, it's not, it's not a good feeling. I'm not saying that was a good thing. It was a horrible thing. I don't think she was fully comfortable with me until all of her immediate people were fully comfortable with me. Bethany moved to California to start a new life after her divorce in 2017. In a new place with new people, she got the same old questions about where she was from and the derivation of her exotic looks and questions about her identity. Bethany's new boyfriend asked the same questions and got inquisitive about how her birth mother didn't know who her birth father was. He even met her biological mother and eventually asked how Bethany's birth mother could not tell her the truth. The can of worms was open again, and Bethany and her birth mother repeated the conversations they had had over the years. Bethany convinced her then-boyfriend to let the conversation go because she and her birth mother were not in that space, and she didn't want to rock the boat with his new inquisitions. In 2020, George Floyd was murdered by the police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I sent my birth mother a text, and I said, I want you to know I live my life as a woman. I live my life as a woman of color. I live my life scared for my two black children. And we don't talk about this. And if you like love me and you're part of our lives, you need to know that my world is not your world. And I don't experience my life like you and my sister experience life. And I sent her this big long text. I was super emotional, totally charged over what was happening. And it it almost came to a head, me keeping it all like calm and friendly without ever really going there again with her. And I did. And I got a message back from her husband and he said, honey, you're not a woman of color. I know you're a birth father and we love your boys. And, you know, it was a, it was this nice supportive text. And I'm like, you're, you're wrong. He said, you're (laughs) not a woman of color. Right. Because remember he knows Santa Claus my white birth father who now still was the story. And I, I wasn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, my, my significant other who, who has been waiting for technology for me to like embrace the technology that was now available through these DNA searches. And he said, honey, you don't need to get anybody's permission. You don't need to wait for anybody to tell you the information anymore. You can find it out. I will also say at that same time, that that June 2020 same timeline, I was moving my mother out of my father's house because my mother who raised me was diagnosed with dementia some years ago and my father could no longer care for her. So we were moving her out and I made the choice to do the test and not tell my parents because they were going through so much anyway, cognitively dealing with my mom and getting older and it just was too much. So I made a choice to do the test hold it close to myself, share it only with my immediate family being my sons and my significant other. And we got the results. And sure enough, I was like, this thing said I was 50% Eastern European of Jewish descent. And the other 50% was very mixed, about 11 different countries represented, of which half of them were African Mm -hmm. countries. And I officially was like, I am mixed, and I am Black, and I am this, and I am Jewish, and I am all these different things. And ironically enough, my significant other is, is Jewish, and I'm like, I am totally embracing all the things that my ancestors intended me to be. I am embracing all the things that my parents raised me to be. And I am, I just immediately, after doing that ancestry DNA test, felt like empowered finally for the first time. 
because nobody helped me find that information out. Not my parents, not my biological mother, not my extended family that I grew up with. Nobody told me anything that ever would point to that truth. Yeah. It was super emotional. Yeah, super emotional information. I was proud to tell my boys. They're like, we told you we were black, mom. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, but listen, <laughs> you know, it just was really amazing for me. And I'm so thankful that technology exists. And I'm so surprised that it took me so long to do it. And other adoptees also, I'm finding more, I'm not beating myself up over that delay to take sort of control because I didn't want to hurt my parents. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lot I didn't of want to, And there's fear too. I didn't want like to hurt them. You, yeah. Yeah. You've been told you were one thing when you were a kid. And then you meet your birth mother and she tells you that you're sort of 50% of one thing. But no, that's not the real story either because you're not. The other 50% is not what they've told you. It's something else. Uh -huh. So like multiple times along the way at big momentous moments, you've been told, nope, that's not going to be correct. So why would you even want to start to search for anything more if you feel like you're going to get even a different story? Like the confusion potential yeah. is so great that I could see why you wouldn't necessarily want to keep searching because like you've never really gotten the truth and it. It doesn't sound like it was always malicious toward you. It was just protective of other people. And like you said, That's everybody right. was hiding yeah. the black piece. And, yeah. and so I just, I could totally see why you would not necessarily have been in a place to, take control of the information the way that commercial DNA testing allows you to do. And a lot of people yeah, and, don't. They just, yeah. it's a scary box to open to learn the actual truth of what the connection is yes. to global history. Yeah. So I always called it the Pandora's box. I realized that I opened the Pandora's box, but the thing that changed in me was I've been waiting for everybody to give me this information. And it's like, like you said earlier, whatever scraps you feel safe to give me, so you're still safe in your space and you haven't blown any of your relationships or your, you know, like in my biological mother's case, for example, your daughter loves you, your husband loves you. Like once you, you're only giving me what you're going to give me so you can stay safe in your safe space. And I've forgiven her like for that mentality. And I'm sorry that she didn't have the courage to stand up and say, this is what I did. And this is what happened. And this is why um, I would love to see this like big, huge, strong, bold woman say, yeah, I did it. Like I'm a woman of the seventies and I crossed over and had a baby. And, you know, I, I think I wanted or expected that story, you know, cause we make it up when we don't know it. And I think I grew up making up so many like grandiose stories about probably what my parents may have been. And then when I actually, got there, I was like, wait a second, why are you, why are you hiding the truth? So when I uncovered it, she found out and it turned into a big traumatic, like anxious moment for her, I'm like sure. panic attacks and the whole thing. Oh. And I, tr I really had to, again, I'm now meeting new people in the constellation, like birth mothers. And to your point, Everything that everybody did in my story, I believe, for the most part, was to protect everybody else, potentially, except for me. She was protecting her daughter. She was protecting her husband and her relationships and who people thought she was as a woman, as this birth mother. Also had to, she had to give up this baby. And 
you know, there's a whole story there and I am happy to share that too. It's like almost part two of who am I, but there's a couple key things that have happened that we haven't touched on. So I want to make sure to just say them. So, so number, so number one, you can kind of get the full picture. And then number two, if anybody else is experiencing anything similar, of course, I just want to say it so they know I'm a resource for them or a support from them, or they don't feel alone. Um, before I go there though, to those two points, I wanted to say, Everybody in my story was protecting something, and I don't believe it was malicious to me. But what I did have to grapple with, and what you and I haven't discussed yet, was are the people in my story racist? Are the people in my story looking different at me because I'm Black, mixed, et cetera? And those are really new concepts that I never had to really sit down with until I started to put this whole story together. Mm, and once you look back and you say, God, people really were hiding things from you. In the one common piece that everybody was hiding, even adopted side of the family, other biological side of the family, I mean, everybody totally wiped out the black piece. Wow. And does that mean that my birth mother or her family or the people that she introduces me to or my adoptive family or my adopted extended family who I grew up with and I call cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, are these people all racist? Like who, and that, that was hard for me to admit. And somebody said it to me one day, they're like, well, was everything as great as you thought it was? Or was everybody actually just racist hiding all the pieces that weren't like fitting into their white picture? So remember that Bethany said she was a gregarious little girl counting her best friends and cartwheeling down the street and crushing athletics, and she learned later that she came by those traits honestly. After doing Ancestry DNA, Bethany finally learned what her own identity was, something most people take for granted. So her identity there was solidified. But Bethany hadn't realized that what she was doing by checking the box on Ancestry DNA that opens her up to connecting with biological relatives was actually opening herself up to connection with her own paternal side of the family. These were people whose identities had previously been obscured, so her curiosity about who they were got the best of her. Bethany started reaching out to people, messaging them with some general information about her birth in Buffalo, New York. She hoped that some of the information she shared would trigger ideas for who her birth father could be with people in her ancestry connections. One person wrote her back with a possible hint. Bethany stayed up for 72 hours building out a family tree, going over social media sites for this uncommonly named man, and narrowing her search down to people who could possibly be her biological father. Over the days, Bethany sent out messages and examined social media profile pictures. Her sons and significant other honed in on one guy whose image gave them goosebumps that he could be the one. I received a message back from a man who said, you are my daughter, gave me my birth name, gave me the story, and absolutely was like spot on in all the places. And he said, are you connected to your birth mother? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm sure she told you, we kept you, we named you. It's going to make me cry. Her family pressured her to give you up and she disappeared with you in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh. And I validated that with my birth mother after I was able to like pull my face off the floor. And it was a very heavy information, a very emotional time. Again, 
not going to get into the nuance, but I did confront my birth mother with this information and, uh, and, and she validated it and gave me some more of her story. And there's just been, like I said, transparency has led to more healing. And the short story was I was born Angelina Marie to my short Jewish New York bubbly birth mom and her big black football boyfriend and her family for all the reasons that you can imagine was like, no way. She wound up having me, keeping me, moving in with my birth father under the pressure after about six weeks. She took me without his knowledge and she basically dropped me off at the neighboring town adoption agency. I did come to find out the adoption agency knew the whole story. And I also came to find out later that my parents who adopted me also knew that I was mixed Mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm -hmm. They were called and said, we have a baby girl. You need to come see her. She's special needs. And they, my dad said, does she have three eyes? And they're like, no, but you need to come see her, her olive complexion. She's, you know, biracial. And I did find out that my parents knew the whole time, which is kind of, I think, an important piece of the story. If I want the next wave of, you know, adoptive parents that are considering transracial adoption, especially, but just adoption in general, the truth piece. Because you cannot do this anymore and expect that all the secrets are going to be hidden, number one. And then just to kind of wrap up my birth father, this man told his whole entire family about me. He was on a plane out here to come meet me. <laughs> he was a mess outside the airport when we met and embraced for the first time in November oh. 2020. I went to my his mom, his sister, his brother, their, his cousin, cousins. I mean, it's a huge family. It was the most welcoming and inviting situation. And I've never, right, experienced this open, transparent, we're family girl, like, what do you want to know? Kind of like embrace. And I'm so thankful for them. So when I say I'm this bubbly, yappy, outspoken, storytelling, sports loving, like wild thing. I am my grandma. I am my dad's mom Mm. who everybody's like, this woman won't let you get off the phone as you know now, because you've been (laughs) on the phone so long, (laughs) but I am this woman and she has taken me. So I flew out, she lives in California. So I'll tell you again with the ancestry piece and the Mm. pull Hmm. when I met my birth father, I found out after he had me and just completely went downhill after his baby was taken, his mom couldn't handle her. She was a single mother and she was like, you're moving to your uncle in Hawaii. And he eventually met somebody and then made his way to California. I lived 45 minutes away from my grandmother, my auntie, Mm. and from where my father healed after I was taken when I was in California. Mm. And I had a charm on my necklace when I left California. One of my girlfriends gave me this little California charm. And then I also carry, I don't, I have no idea why, but I had this piece of Hawaiian coral that I received. My mom who raised me went to Hawaii. I told you she had dementia. We were always close and things like that. So when I cleaned her house out and moved her into memory care, I took this piece of coral off of her necklace and I put it on my necklace. So my coral from Hawaii and my little California charm were on my necklace when I'm on the phone with my birth father for the first time ever. And he's telling me about his life and what happened after me and 
how he went to Hawaii and then ultimately landed in California. And I, I said, I have been pulled out there. My grandmother was moved out there in the eighties. And I read these stories now of that connectivity and that pull and that I'm just wired in a way. And yeah. it, I am my grandma. Bethany, yeah. thank you so much for being here. This has been really wonderful. And I'm, I'm sorry that you had sort of the fibs and lies hidden about who you were racially because that that piece, just the line that you dropped, everybody was hiding the black piece, really resonated. And I think that you're absolutely right to give encouragement to the upcoming adoptive families out there to be open and honest with race relations with their children because it's super important. But I think also it's incredible to hear that you had this thawing of the relationship with your birth mother that allowed you to get to a place where you could even talk about your actual story as heard from your birth father and god it must have been wild to hear that they had tried to keep you that i mean i just can't even imagine yeah. so thank you yeah. so much for being here with me bethany i really appreciate it oh i'm so thankful for you and <laughs> this platform so other people can hear and heal too so Thank you for being here, and you're stuck with me now, so keep Love in touch. It. I'm happy to. I'll see you back in Maryland, okay? Sounds wonderful. Have Take a good care. one. Thank All you. The best, Bethany. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Bethany grew up recognizing she was different from her family, but believing her family's explanations of those differences. However, the world around Bethany could see her features for what they truly represented, she was a woman of color, but no one close to her in her life would say so. Bethany's birth mother found her out of the blue, but only appeared long enough to stir up Bethany's emotions before her wedding and would not come clean about her past. It took DNA testing to reveal the full truth of Bethany's ethnicity, which brought her some comfort to finally be able to answer questions about her ethnicity and helped her skirt around her birth mother's inability to share the truth about her pregnancy. Bethany's birth father revealed that he and her birth mother tried to keep her. The woman was forced to relinquish their child, and he was glad to finally be reunited with his daughter again. I want to underscore the importance of revealing or helping an adopted person to discover their ethnicity. It's unfair for a person to be kept in the dark about their race, especially when the world continues to challenge them on where they come from. We live in challenging times where not every person of every race is accepted in different communities, and it can be dangerous for an adopted person to lack the clarity on their racial identity. For adoptive parents out there, if you know your adopted child's heritage and you haven't told them the truth, now is the time. Try to empathize with your child's perspective and imagine how you would feel if you were nagged by questions of your own identity. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Bethany's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I really? <laughs>